Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get the commercial appeal on your smartphone or tablet. Breaking news, sports, podcasts, and more. And it's all in the palm of your hand. Go to iTunes or the Google Play Store for your free download. The following is a CA original. I learned a lot through good stuff and through, you know, some hard lessons. Um, I was really trying to be open-minded about this year and really challenge myself and push myself to grow. And I couldn't have did it without the group of guys that's in there. They really helped me and pushed me to be a better coach. I think a lot of the circumstances this year pushed me to be a better coach. It was a fun year for me. I can't believe it's already 82 games. I mean, this thing went fast. Favorite time of year, man, playoffs. It's an honor to be in the playoffs. This is the Grizzlies Podcast with the only beat writer the Memphis Grizzlies have ever known, Ron Tillery, with columnist Jeff Calkins and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. All right. I'm in studio. Uh, I'm Jeff Calkins. Chris Harrington is in studio. Uh, the pick and pop columnist Ron Tillery, the only beat writer the Grizzlies have ever known, at least the Memphis Grizzlies have ever known, is joining us by telephone. It is David Fisdale's favorite time of the year. It is that time of the year again in Memphis, Tennessee. Seven straight years, the Grizzlies in the playoffs. They begin Saturday against the San Antonio Spurs. I suppose we could take a moment or two to reflect on the season. Let's just do that real quick at the top. Take a moment or two to reflect on the season, and then we'll move on to the matchup. Uh, Ron, let's start with you. Did they wring every win they could have out of this season? Did this did this team achieve up to its capabilities? You know, I've been asked that a lot, and um, I, I used to be able to answer it, but I'm not uh, sure how to answer that because for so for such a long time they were overachieving. Like when you go back to November and December. When Chandler Parsons couldn't start the season, when Mike Conley uh, suffered a uh, broken back, like they won games they had no business winning, and you know, but that's the NBA; it, it all tends to even out. Uh, but I mean, I guess the simple answer to your question is they lost a lot of games to some bad teams uh, along the way. So you no, know, they didn't. They didn't ring out every win that they could have. Uh, Chris. I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I mean, you always lose some games you're supposed to win. You win some games you're supposed to lose. I mean, they beat the Warriors twice, the Spurs twice, et cetera. So it, that can go both ways. But I just feel like over the course of an entire season, having watched every game, I, I don't feel like they maxed out. In, in some past seasons, it felt like they overachieved. They, quote, unquote, grit and grinded their way to sort of something bigger than maybe they should have been. I don't think that was the case this season. Do you think it was? And obviously, this has been a season like no other because we never had the Chandler Parsons situation in any other season. How much, Ron, of, of, of their muddling had to do with just Chandler Parsons and figuring out how to use him and maybe using him for too long or for too whatever. How much of the muddling and then the discontent that flowed from that, uh, the the very the the discontent within the locker room that flowed from that. It seems to me that that was responsible for a large degree of the to the extent there was underachievement. That was responsible for a significant degree of it. 
Oh, I totally agree because, you know, you know, I've said often on this podcast, you know, I, I, I believe this franchise did Chandler Parsons a disservice and in turn did Fisdale and, and, and the rest of the team a disservice. They knew he wasn't ready to play and 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 they put him in harm's way. They were trying to justify this max contract with a guy who was damaged goods from the start. And in doing so, they put him in jeopardy of injuring the, the left knee. Uh, after having two surgeries on the right knee because he was overcompensating. And then now you have a rookie head coach, you know, who's trying to keep the party going, so to speak, and win games, trying to figure out what to do with this guy. You got Marcus all not passing him the basketball. Um, you know, you crushed James Ennis, who was helping you to start the season. It, it just had a, a, a terrible ripple effect. And, and, you know, now that we're done with the regular season, I, I think you can safely say that the, the Grizzlies – front office, whoever uh, organization just botched it. Well, and it, it, the, the Parsons thing was a double whammy because not only was it what Parsons was unable to do because of his health situation, it was the opportunity cost of, of, of putting so much of your budget into him. And then when he couldn't play, it left you with probably without Parsons, it left you with the shoddiest, you know, wing rotation they've probably had in the stretch and they've never had a great wing rotation but there's no Courtney Lee there there's no Matt Barnes and there's no you know healthy Quincy Pondexter and OJ Mayo and like on and on and on it was it, you know some decent collection of players and Allen and Vince Carter at age 40 and Daniels and it's like all viable players but as a group that group without Chandler Parsons is probably the weakest wing rotation they've had in yeah. this stretch. Thank God for Vince and what the miraculous season that he uh, had this year because he sort of has helped bail them out. I would say I'd go so far as to say that even if they had done the Chandler Parsons thing if they just hadn't played him I bet they would have won 50 games. And I say that because they could easily, if they'd wanted to, won the last two. So that gets you to 45. I think he cost you five games along the way. I think it's a 50-win team. Even having made that investment, if you don't overdo the investment. But then what Chris says is is critical in terms of going forward because it does shape the roster heading into the playoffs. It's, it's, it's Zebo and Mark and Tony and Mike, it's the same core that we've seen, and yet around them, in some ways, they're healthy, which is great, and that's the big plus. But the cast around them may be as weak as any cast there has ever been on a Grizzlies playoff team. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with that because um, um, they they didn't get a whole lot out of player development this year. I mean, I know people like to dump on Andrew Harrison, but he's been serviceable. But if that's all you got going, I mean, as a warm body going into the playoffs, I mean, it just doesn't bode well. And, you know, uh, Troy Daniels has been exciting, but he's run hot and cold. And um, and like I said earlier, I, I think they, they really kind of crushed Ennis with, with, with the yo-yoing of his playing time and and, uh, and his role. So, yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, the first thing you, you talked about was, you know, did they maximize this season? You know, and now I started to think about not only were you forced to play Chandler, play him and play and start him and play him X amount of minutes, but then you had stuff like, well, Mike Conley can only play six minutes and a half, or let's try this. Uh, we're going to like manage Mike's minutes. Let's just not start him and bring him off the bench. I mean, it's, it's just been crazy. <laughs> How do you recover from all of this? He's tried some interesting. It, 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 I think most people would would say that on all kinds of levels, David Fisdale has been 
Um, very effective. Certainly connecting with the players, connecting with the community, setting a tone, uh, bringing a cooperative spirit to the franchise that wasn't there before. Honestly, even talking about stuff totally outside basketball. He's the right fit for Memphis. Um, I, I think he's been really good. He's done some squirrely things in terms of, of lineups, and I don't know how much of that was dictated from above or him tinkering. A lot of it. Or, yeah, a lot yeah. of it might have been dictated from above or him tinkering, but some of that has been has been interesting. Chris, how would you grade David Fisdale's first season? Oh, I, I think I think the way you set it up is correct. I mean, I, I certainly give him a a positive positive marks on the whole, and, and in the sense that that he will that that his strengths will continue, and to the degree that he has weaknesses, it seems like the kind of things that will improve with experience because it's it's about judgment calls and not about you know your temperament and your ability and so i think he's a good coach now who who has a chance to, to become a even better coach going forward uh, i would agree with that yeah. i think that um you know one thing that fisdale has absolutely done you know from a, a management standpoint is uh, he, he has been able to strike the balance that they've been seeking you know lionel hollins you know was old school i'm gonna do it my way you know Dave kind of, you know, sold him a bill of goods in that, you know, you thought that he would be, you know, lock and step with management, but, you know, he, he kind of fought them, but, but, but Fisdale not only struck the balance of, of, of how to transition the team and how they play and, and manage the players, but, you know, he's, he's been perfectly fine going along with their medical team of, uh, you know, when and, and how long to play players and, and uh and who to develop and 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 how so uh i think from that standpoint you know robert para and, and everybody in management has to be happy it's been an interesting year in terms of the medical team because people have been very critical of a the decision to sign chandler parsons given now how it's turned out uh and that's all not fit related it's purely knee related um and then how he was deployed on the other hand we are looking up, and Mark has had his best season of his career, and Mike has had uh, – Mark's an all-star, and Mike has had the best season of his career, and we can pretend that resting might or might – like, I don't know how much of their approach had to do with it, um, but, like, it is true that heading into the playoffs, those two are as healthy as they have ever been. I, I don't know how we can ever figure out or discern if it has anything to do with it. What, what do you, how do you parse that, Well, there's Chris? a difference between management and evaluation, right? Um, I, I think I think we can question Sharon has and legitimately their management of Parsons since he has been here and maybe like they were too eager to make it work and that compounded a problem that was already there. But the problem was already there. And I, I think the real problem on the Parsons end was their evaluation of him on the front end when they decided to sign him. That's what seems to be the case. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I got to tell you guys, and I'm not literally to share the, the conversation because it was totally off the record, but I developed a relationship with Mark Cuban due to the late great Mike Heisley because they were, uh, and Mike Heisley is, of course, the original Memphis Grizzlies owner, but they were great friends that came into the league together. And my conversation with Mark Cuban about Chandler Parsons was interesting. All right, then. So there, <laughs> there we go. Well, let, let, that well, linger. Not, and, 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 uh, let, let that linger in the air a little bit. I, I'm going to guess that it wasn't. Yeah. I'm going to guess that it didn't go like this. Damn, Ron, I really wish we hadn't let him go. We're so surprised that his knee didn't blow up like that. I'm going to guess that that was not the tenor 
of the conversation. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you the most positive part of it. He still loves Chandler Parsons, yeah. no matter what. I'm sure he, he loves, loves even even more from afar, I'm sure. So, uh, <laughs> all right, turning to the playoffs, we got, uh, we got the Spurs again, 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 again. Um, and we are trying to talk ourselves into this. I think you had the proper number of again. <laughs> I think I tried. <laughs> um, there was the, the so they played him once. And the old Grizzlies played him and were swept. They then beat them in 2011, and then they have lost twice since. Is that correct? Both swept both times. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And it just occurred to me, and I, I hadn't thought about this yet. I, I need to for when I'm writing. I'm pretty sure that um, Tony Parker, Manor Ginobili. Were a bit were in the first time around. I'm going to double oh, check yeah. that. Oh yes, they were in the first. Yeah, time. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, the very first time. No, around. The, the Hubie year. I want the to, Hubie year. I'm going wow. to I'm going to double check that. But I think that, that that's true. Uh, what, that is true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've been so they've been here for all of them. So the uh, and we're trying to talk ourselves into this idea that it's it's much more like 2011 than it is any of the other years. Uh, Ron, we'll start with you. Is this much more like 2011 than any of the other years? You know, um, I'm not so sure about that because, I mean, I get the, the, the theory in that, you know, you know, Parker's kind of broken down and Ginobili's, you know, is, is, is very much as 60 years old as Vince Carter. And, 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 and that, that 2011 Spurs team um, was older and broken down, too. Uh, but he, here's where I depart from that logic. Um, see, you had a spry Zach Randolph back then. You, you had a, a Tony Allen that was, you know, raging. And, um, but these guys are 35 years old and there's a 40 year old Vince Carter in the starting lineup. And the Spurs are still the Spurs in that, um, their younger players are way more advanced than the Grizzlies younger players. So their, uh, their depth is better this time around. So that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, like Zach was like Michael Jordan that year. I mean, when you look back at it, I mean, you go beyond the Spurs series and into that Thunder series. I mean, Zach was the man. And it's just not the same. Chris? Well, actually, I mean, it's sort of two different questions. Is Are the Spurs more like then or the Grizzlies more like then? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I do think the Spurs team is more, is more in common stylistically <laughs> and in terms of vulnerability with the 2011 team the Grizzlies beat than they do to the two most recent teams the Grizzlies have played. I think that is totally true. I think this is a – I've been saying this for months. I Watch them win a title and prove me wrong. But I think this Spurs team is not as good of a playoff team as they have been a regular season team. That said, well, you know that doesn't mean true. you have the same outcome as yeah. 2011. And part of that is because right. of the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies aren't as good. And, right. and the reason is this. Right. Is right. that is that yeah. you've got a better mark than you had then. You have a much better mic than you had then. That, I think those things are indisputably true. And the rest of it's good. not close to as good. And even as good as Mike is right now at his position, I'm not sure he's as good at his position. He's not as Zeba was at his position in 2011. And yeah. then you had guys, that was an all NBA Zach Randolph. Yeah, that was that was a destructive force Zach Randolph. And so you have some guys who are better, but you have many more guys who are worse. There was, I mean, Shane wasn't playing great that series, and actually Tony didn't have a great series. But you had a much younger Tony. You had Shane. You had OJ Mayo, who was who could play back then. It was a it was a much more dangerous team than this Grizzlies team. Even if this Spurs team is vulnerable, in the end, that Grizzlies team was better than this team. I, I just look. I mean, look at the wind totals, yes. among other things. No, no, it's, you know, it's completely so true. I think that's probably yeah. where it where it where it falls down. Um, a lot of people are are pointing to the um, 
the Kawhi Leonard thing as the key, Kawhi on Mike Conley. Do you think they'll start that way, Ron? Do you think they'll – how much time do you think we'll see of Kawhi on Conley and how prepared are the Grizzlies to deal with that? Well, I think you almost have to uh, if you're Popovich because you don't want the Grizzlies to get into a rhythm and feel good about themselves. And then that, in turn, puts pressure on Marcus Hall to be the best guy on the, on the floor. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is a rhythm team. You know, they, they don't have, uh, even though Mike Conley's had a career year, you know, they don't have a go-get-it guy, like a guy just, you know, go-get 40. Uh, so, um, and, and even Mark Gasol said this the other day at practice, 90% of the action starts with Mike Conley. So, yeah, I, I think you would be smart to, to, to put um, uh, Kawhi on them from the start. And, and Mike has talked about expecting that and uh, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with the size, the length, uh, the physicality that, that Kawhi would, would bring. Chris, I sort of don't think they'll do that as their primary matchup right off, right, right off the tip. But I mean, I could be wrong. I could very well be wrong about that. I, I, if I had to bet, I would bet that, they, that he'll guard Vince Carter or whatever, and they'll let him roam a little bit and try to just, just disrupt things generally. Um, but certainly, whether it happens immediately or it happens, you know, at later at other sort of pressure points, you're going to see Kawhi Leonard on Mike Conley um, in, the way, in the way that Tony Allen would shift onto point guards, like when it in possessions where it mattered most. I think you, you will see that at minimum from the Spurs. You know, you need Mike to be great, and we know we need you need Mark to be great. In terms of the the other cast of characters uh, on the Grizzlies run, who has to be you know, who, who who do you think is particularly key in terms of having a good series? Um, and then I'm just curious, like, how much are we going to see? How much are we going to see Brandon Wright? How much are we going to see Wayne Selden? How much? How do you think the the, the um, rotation is going to play out in this series? Well, he's going to play nine or ten guys. I, I think you're going to see all those people. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see, like, how he juggles the uh, uh, Troy Daniels, the James Ennis's, the, the Seldens of the world. Uh, but Brandon Wright will play in this series, um, and Fizz is already committed to playing up to ten. Um, I, I, I I struggle with that question because it's been such a mixed bag all season long. Um, I mean, you can you could just easily go to Zach, but you know what you're going to get from Zach. You know, in the playoffs, it just tends to be who's that who's going to be that guy that's going to rise up and 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 help you. And I'm just. I don't know if I'm confident in, in calling out one name. It is funny to think about. I'm going to ask Chris the same question, but it is funny to think about the last six years of playoffs and who has risen up. I mean, Benno is your, your perfect example. Of, did you ever right. expect the Benno Oklahoma City experience that we had is probably the one that leaps to mind. Yeah. Darrell Arthur, honestly, in that first series against the Spurs was immense. So you don't really know who's going to pop up. Okay, I'll direct the same question to you, Chris. I'll give you a little sneak preview of what I'm working on today for, for tomorrow in terms of a series breakdown. I think I've been saying this all season, writing it all season. The tipping point quality for the Grizzlies this season is three-point shooting right. by far. Um, and, and, you, and when you look, wins versus losses for the Grizzlies, six players, Mike Conley, Vince Carter, Troy Daniels, James Ennis, Marcus Saul, Jamichael Green, all six of them shoot better than 40%, and in some cases way better than 40% in wins. And five of the six shoot worse than 35% from three-point and losses. Troy Daniel shoots right at 35%. So there is a huge discrepancy in three-point shooting for the team and among all those individual players and in wins versus losses. 
I think in the Spurs series, the real tipping point player is Vince Carter because they have got to get that secondary three-point shooting collectively, and he's the guy who you know is going to start and get minutes, whereas Troy Daniels may come and go, Ennis may come and go, Seldon may come and go. Carter's always going to be out there. You need three-point shooting for Vince Carter, and you need him to be able to handle the ball and make plays if Kawhi Leonard's going to be on Mike Conley. So I think Vince Carter is probably the most important after Conley Gasol, he's the most he's the player that's going to tip it one way or the other in terms of his performance. It's interesting because three point shooting. It's one of the reasons that this feels like you. Ha- I mean, there was three in 2011. You had Battier who who could shoot. You had OJ who could shoot. Right, Mike. You know, and I was not as good a three point shooter as he is now, but. Vasquez was even a little bit of a threat. Yeah, you, you you could spread the floor a little bit, and it's one of the reasons that I think people can talk themselves into this this year is that once again one of the one of the reasons that can operate is because they don't have the big dudes down low. But the other reason that Zach can operate, but I got to throw double and triple teams at him a season because they because because there's people actually who can make three pointers now. I That's think three pointers yeah. could be a, a big part of this. Um, well, I tell you what, though, it, it's been in the four regular season games. It's, it's been a defensive series, and right. you know the Spurs average like 105 points for the season, but they've only scored about 90 a game against the Grizzlies. What we do know, based on the regular season matchup, and this is where, and I don't know if you agree, if you guys agree with this, this is where like the regular season might actually matter because they played them like four times within like a, a month and a half at the end. Like it's, you know, they they played a lot of their games right. When it mattered, you know, <laughs> they didn't have like a November game against the Spurs. It, you know, doesn't matter now. Kawhi Leonard so set my, out one of those wins, though. The first one yeah. he set out, but they was there for the, the, the next three. Yeah. And hell, Mark set out the overtime yep. of the most recent loss. Right. Um, but my point is, my point is, these games have come down to the last four or five minutes, you know, minus the one without Kawhi. And and that's when the, the Spurs kind of methodically put you away and I'll execute you. So, you know, how big can Mike and Mark be in winning time? Well, and that that early season, like the Grizzlies super clutch sort of sort of um, mojo that they had in, in, in November and December, they, it would be they need to get some of that back Right? because they're not if, if they win games in this series or even win the series, they're going to do so winning close games like like they're going to have to, you know, slow it down and stay close to, to San Antonio and then execute late. All right. I totally agree with that. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else in particular that you all want to get into. So I thought I'd wrap up by reflecting back on 2011 a little bit. Um, what were you writing for the Flyer then, Chris? Were you covering the Grizzlies? Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I started. I started my blog at the Flyer during the Grizzlies' second season in Memphis. So yes, I was there for the. What playoff do you games. remember of that series particularly? Of that series in particular, um, I remember I was sitting next to, I think his name's um, Fran Blindberry. Fran Blindberry. Blindberry. Yeah. Yeah. You probably Blindberry. know it, Fran. Once from Houston, he's now yeah. NBA.com. He was, he was uh. NBA guy then. I was sitting next to him when Randolph hit that three, which was, I think that was, was that game, game three? Late game three, he hit the three-pointer. And where we were sitting, we couldn't see that. We couldn't actually see the floor. And so we were like, was that a three? Did he just hit a three? <laughs> Because we could we couldn't see where his feet were on the floor when he hit it, so I remember him hitting that three, and then I'll always remember maybe still my my favorite play in Grizzlies history, and this was I believe game five. Game five was the blowout, right? Um, when they came back to, to to Memphis, I think that's right. Um, and it was the it was the um the play where Darrell Arthur blocked a shot at one end and, one and then ran past nine guys down the floor to catch the alley oop from OJ Mayo, and the building just exploded on that. Ron, what do you recall from that series? Oh man, I uh, I just I just think about everything that Zebo meant, 
Like, I mean, you know, he uh, he had been traded for in 09, you know, roundly criticized. By and, me, by me. Let's be clear. <laughs> among others, not just me. I, I, I raised yeah. some questions myself. Yes, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but but I just I just remember just uh, just just how awesome he was in that series, and it's just too many moments to to mention, and and how you know that series was just such a, a moment of vindication for him. I mean, he he set this thing off. I don't I know mean, if you, I, yeah. It, he did. It doesn't. It doesn't happen without Zach Randolph. Yeah. It, and that series, I don't know if you remember this. That was a series where Rick Riley just out of the blue, and this was after like he'd proven that he was not. You know, he'd already sort of proven that he was not Zach Randolph. But Rick Riley was a little late to catch up, so he took a shot at him in the midst of that, at the very beginning of that series. And I remember having. Uh, a conversation with Zach saying, you know, what do I have to do to change my image? Like, why is he taking shots at me? He was also, by the way, in the midst of contract. That was the end of a contract year for him, I think, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And yeah, he, got, they, he got an extension. During the playoffs, he got an, ex- <laughs> he got an extension. Yeah. Um, so you're right. It was a vindication for him. To me, that first win um, where they where they they had had the lead, then they lost the lead, and then Shane Battier, who had – been let's be honest struggling since he'd been reacquired after Rudy Gay goes down they go out and they get Shane to sort of help them win these games and he didn't fit on that team he didn't think he fit in that team he was not playing well he was not shooting well and for him to hit that three um it was perfect I mean it was just perfect and then the happiness it really was one of these for me I had my occasional clashes with Mike Heisley but damn, he was happy after that game. And just to think about everybody who had been involved in bringing the Grizzlies here, in fighting against the NBA, no NBA signs that had been here, all those early, play, you know, Hubie and like everything. It felt to me cascading into that game. Finally, like it was Memphis was finally an NBA team. Well, you just made me, you just made me remember my actual favorite memory, which I'd forgotten from that series in Game Six, fourth quarter. I'm sitting next to Bob Thornton, who later became a Grizzlies assistant coach. Then he was an advanced scout for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Right. And it was during that fourth quarter where Zach Randolph just murdered Antonio <laughs> McDyess. Like, ushered him into retirement. <laughs> McDyess retired, like, right after the game. <laughs> just killing him in the fourth quarter. And I remember watching Bob Thornton as an advanced scout for the Thunder watch Zach Randolph. <laughs> and he had fear in his eyes watching Zach Randolph in, in the fourth quarter of game six. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think you're right, Jeff. I mean, because I think Lionel said it. It's like that's when they became the Memphis Grizzlies. Because you know, you know, for the longest time, it was just kind of a novelty. I mean, they had the ridiculous streak of making the playoffs three straight years and not winning a game, zero and twelve. And so the Grizzlies have always been known for like the worst stat in history. <laughs> and, and then they 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 become an eight seed that upsets a one. Um, no, it it was. Uh, it, it, it was the start of, of something big, and uh, it does and yeah. now. Yeah, now and now we may be seeing the, the end of it uh, yeah. with the Spurs. Now we're heading the back. The yeah, the, 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 yeah, we may be seeing the last round. We'll talk about that more, whether this is the last roundup for Tony, for Zebo, et cetera, um, as the offseason um, and as the postseason carries on. All right, uh, we'll be back next week to talk about more playoffs. Predictions? Predictions. Okay, go ahead. Predictions? Spurs and five. Yeah. 
I, 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 that is probably where I'm headed. Sometimes I change my mind in the writing process, so I reserve the right to have something different tomorrow morning, but I think that's where I'm headed as well. It's always uh, tough to be the third one, but when I was walking in, someone asked me, what do you think? And I said Spurs in five, so I'll stick with Spurs. I could see six. I could see six, and I could imagine them winning, but I will, if I had to pick the I most think, likely I scenario, I think game Spurs by game, five. it will be a competitive series, but I don't know if the Grizzlies are going to win a lot of games. All right, thank you yeah, for the reminder. People yeah. forget. Yeah, people forget that even though they got swept in the West Finals, that was a super competitive series, and it will be. Thanks. See y'all. All right. Subscribe for free to the Grizzlies podcast. Now available on iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app. This is the Commercial Appeal.